We thank you, our Father, that not only has our Savior given us instruction about how we ought to pray, but the Scriptures are filled not only with instruction about prayer, not only filled with exhortation to pray, but filled with examples of prayers. We learn to pray by reading and heeding these examples. And so, our Father, this morning, would you give us instruction into this most needful area? And would you make us bold in our praying, persistent in our praying, clear in our praying? Would you make us to be shepherds in our praying? And would you demonstrate our love for you and our love for one another through our prayers? And so, Father, would you, in a word, would you change us by what we are about to hear? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. One of the questions that the elders have been wrestling through for the last few months um, and that you're going to hear more about in the State of the Union, or State of the Union, State of the... That's a different guy that gives that address. (laughs) But you can tell where we borrowed it from. In the State of the Church address... Uh, We are fit to speak about that. Um, The state of the church address that we're going to talk about uh, after the service, and that is the question, how how do we continue to shepherd well a growing and expanding church with expanding ministries and and expanding growth? There are some areas, and you're going to hear about this, some areas where by God's grace we're doing well. And we're asking the question, how do we keep doing these things well in a way that honors the Lord. And then there are also some areas where we are weak, some areas that need some shoring up, some areas that need some strengthening. And we're asking the question, this already is an area that needs strengthening and needs some help. And as the ministry is expanding and, and more people are here, it's going to be even more of a challenge to do that. How do we, how do, we do those things well and in a way that honors the Lord? And one of the things that has been compelling to me as I've considered that question, is to make sure that we take care of the things that are basic to what we are as believers. And the basics include the spiritual disciplines, so that that we are taking care of those things which are personally and corporately pushing us towards Christ and towards transformation into His likeness and by His working in our lives. And so over, over this month, starting last week and then to the end of this month, I want to think with you about, about five spiritual disciplines. Uh, last week we talked about Scripture and the role of Scripture in our lives. And then this morning I want to take the, that discipline that's often paired with Scripture, the discipline of prayer, and think with you about one aspect of prayer that, that the Lord would have us to be shaped by. And friends, we do this because as we... As we carry out these disciplines with effectiveness, we will be caring well for each other. We will be shepherding the body well when we take care of the spiritual disciplines. In fact, when we grow in this area of prayer, we will shepherd each other well because we are praying well for each other. And and before we come to this issue of prayer, I'm, I'm sure you have heard many sermons about prayer. I've given many sermons about prayer. And friends, I need to hear this one today. 
Because I don't know about you. No, I, I do know. I do know about you, and you are like me in that we both need to learn how to pray better and more effectively, don't we? I don't know anybody that says, my prayer life is everything I would like it to be. I just can't imagine ever needing to do anything more in my prayer life. It's absolutely at the pinnacle. I can't change a thing to make it better. I've never heard anybody say that, and I certainly have not said it, and our church certainly has not said it. So, friends, we need, we need to grow in this area, and we want to grow with effectiveness. And so... I want to look with you at this passage that we've just read from Philippians chapter 1, and I want to pay particular attention to verses 9 to 11. I considered um, a number of places where we might go in the Scriptures to, to learn about prayer, and I considered going to Matthew 6 and, and our Lord's teaching on the disciples' prayer, so how, how He taught His disciples to pray. Uh, we looked at that a couple of years ago, and I thought that was too recent, so um, I began considering some of the Apostle Paul's prayers and came to Philippians 1 and just found it to be a really good fit, not only for what we needed to hear about prayer, but what we need to hear as we think about the state of the church and where the church is going to go over the next year and years. Um, this, this, This prayer teaches us how to pray. It teaches us what to pray. But even more than teaching us what to pray, it also teaches us how to shepherd the flock of God. It teaches us what good shepherding, what good care of God's people looks like. And Paul says, in a word, that the thing that the body of Christ needs is increasing love. Uh, He will say it this way, when you pray for one another, pray for growing love. That's what we're going to learn from the Apostle. We're going to learn that that no matter where we are on the continuum of loving, that we need to still pursue that love with even greater diligence and with greater excellence. In fact, he's going to point to, in three verses, he's going to give us six aspects of love for which we ought to pray. Six six kinds of love, six manifestations of love, six six evidences of love, six, six means of loving. Uh, that we should cultivate, not only pray for in others, but that we should be actively cultivating ourselves. The first of those is given to us in verse 9, and we find it at the beginning, pray for abounding love. Pray for abounding love. Now, as we consider verses 9 to 11, and, and Paul will say, and this I pray, it's interesting, in this short letter, he's only nine verses in, and this is already the second and perhaps the third reference to prayer. Just skip up to verse 3. Notice he says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Now, that's not an explicit reference to prayer, but it seems to be indicating that perhaps he already is thinking about the aspect of prayer in verse 3. Certainly he is in verse 4, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. So, So I'm constantly praying And he's telling the Philippians that he is constantly praying for them. They're ever on his mind as he goes to the throne of God in prayer. So in verse 4, he tells them that he's praying. In verses 5 and following, he tells them why he's praying. Because of, verse 5, your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And then he, he fleshes out what the gospel has worked in them and then what the gospel should be working as well. So he's praying for them for gospel purposes And now in verses 9 to 11, he doesn't just tell them that he's praying. He doesn't tell them why he's praying. He tells them what he's praying. 
And this I pray, he says, first of all, that your love may abound. In fact, as you look at this, at these three verses, there's really only one request that he's making. And it is for this very thing, for abounding love. He wants their love to abound for each other. That's the focus of his prayer. Um, you, you may not be able to notice this in the text, but there are a number of different words that the New Testament writers use for praying and for prayer. And the one that he uses in verse 9, the one that Paul uses in verse 9, is the broadest of those words. It's the most, it's, it's the widest, is, it's the most all-encompassing of, of those words. And many times in the New Testament, the word is just speaking about the fellowship and the communion and the intimacy that the believer has with God. And many times it is not talking about a specific request so that, so that this word is used without reference to any kind of request. It simply is talking about the fellowship and the intimacy that we have with God in heaven. The, 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 the prayers that we offer are the result of our satisfaction with God. We are content with Him. We delight in Him. We, we love Him. And out of the overflow of that love, now we pray. And then notice, notice also this. Paul says, and this I pray. That word pray is a present tense. So, so it means that he is continually praying. He is habitually praying. And the object of that prayer is God. So he is praying regularly to God, and he is praying regularly to God for the Philippians. And that gives us a little hint about how prayer ought to function in our lives, in that, in that prayer ought to be regular. It ought to be, it ought to be at a particular season of our day. So that, so that on a regular basis, on a consistent basis, we can just say, that's, that's my time to, to formally go to God and pray to make sure that I'm in fellowship with Him through the day. In fact, when the, when the children were little, I don't know if Emily remembers this or not, but when the children were little, it was not terribly unusual when I might be up early in the morning and having some time with the Lord that, that I'd hear two little feet come wandering down the hall and they'd come into the, come into the living room and they'd say, Daddy, can I sit on your lap? And what does the dad say? Uh, I said, no, you may not. Not always, but most of the time I'd say no. And I'd get to say, Dad, I just want to sit in your lap. And I'd say, no, this is Dad's time with the Lord. You come back in, and I'd give him a time frame, and then, and then you can come sit in my lap. I wanted them to understand that there is a time and a season of the day that's reserved for the Lord. That's His. And, and I, I need to be in fellowship with Him, and I need to be in communion with Him. At the same time, it's not just in that moment, right? We're praying Lord willing, we're praying all the time. I hope that, that all of you are praying for me right now because I need help in communicating this. We, we can be doing that. You can listen and you can pray at the same time. You can talk and pray at the same time. So I've been in the counseling room and I've, I've said, Lord, I need help. You need, you need to direct me because I don't know what to say in this moment. You need to give me words and scriptures to help minister to this person, to give them hope. And so we need to regularly be going to God in prayer just throughout the day about everything that we face. So there's regular, regular formal times and then, and then regular intermittent, consistent, informal times where we're just sending up quick flashes to God and saying, help. And we need to be doing both of those things. And Paul is modeling that. He's, he's regularly praying to God. He's regularly praying for the Philippians. And notice the content of his prayer. Paul is not saying, 
And this I pray, that you learn to start to love each other, you miserable sinners. No, that's not what he says, is it? He says, I pray that your love may abound still more and more. In other words, you're already doing this. You already love each other. You, you already love well, but, but we need to cultivate, you need to cultivate still more kinds of loves. You, you need to have so much love that it abounds, that it, that it overflows, that you can't contain it, you can't keep it to yourself, but it just, it just has to find its expression on other people and flow generously towards other people. It's, it's ever increasing. It's more and more. It is unrelenting in this progress. In other words, they're, they're already doing well, but friends, that's no reason to sit back and say, well, I've conquered that one. I don't need to improve anymore. No, he says, there, no matter how much you are loving, there's still room for improvement and growth and maturity And we need to pursue that kind of growth, the Apostle says. He's not criticizing the Philippians. In fact, the Philippians were known throughout Asia Minor as being particularly generous, particularly loving. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 to just be reminded of how vast their love was, even for people they hadn't met in the body of Christ. They loved very well. But Paul's saying, don't be satisfied. I don't want you to be satisfied with where you are in your love for each other. Friends, as I think about Grace Bible Church, I'm thankful for a lot of different things. I'm, I'm grateful that, that you embrace the truth, that, that you want the truth, you want to be taught, you, you, you want to be equipped. I'm, I'm grateful for gifted teachers. I'm, I'm grateful for willing and, and, um, and sacrificial servants. I'm, I'm grateful for effective disciples and effective counselors. I'm, I'm grateful for sacrificial givers. But I'm really thankful that we have a reputation as being a loving church. I'm, I'm really grateful that, that in the community and in this body, as people come in, they say, this is obviously a loving body. But you know, no matter how much we love, there's, there's always room for more growth and more development. I've never had Regine say to me, you know, Terry, I, I know you love me and... I just can't imagine you could possibly love anymore. So you can just stop now. There's no more need to, to try and work on loving. You can just, you know, there's just, there is no capacity for you to love in any way better. Um, so you can just stop and you don't need to love anymore or try to work at it anymore. Never heard that come from her lips. Why? I think, I think I do okay at loving her, but I haven't loved her perfectly. And friends, we're the same way in the body of Christ. We do well. Y'all are gracious and and y'all are gentle and you're kind and and you reach out to others. But we don't do it perfectly. I I just heard a testimony this week again about about someone who was talking about how, how loving this church body is. And at the same time as she was telling me that, what was rolling through my mind was, I also know someone who has told me, I know that that's the reputation of the church, but I've not experienced that. I'm here, and I'll be here, and, I'm, and I want to serve, but I just want you to know that I have not experienced the love that most people around here talk about. Uh, we, 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 need to, we need to grow. So there should be nobody in this body that says, well, they talk about it, but they really don't do it well. Friends, Friends, we need to be abounding 
still more in love for one another. Again, that's not a criticism. We're doing it. We're doing it in general very well. But we need to excel still more. Pray for that. Pursue love for one another. Let me, let me just give you a, just one little tidbit, one, one way to kind of maybe think about this. Um, fellowship time, I know you all enjoy that. I know when we head over next door, there's going to be lots of talking, and that's great. And I'm glad when you, when you come to worship, you're embracing each other and you're hugging each other and you're talking to each other. You're excited to see each other. But most of us are interacting with each other during the week already. So we're texting and we're calling and we're writing notes and we're sending emails. And we're having lunch. Friend, can you find somebody that's off in a corner by themselves that maybe you don't know that maybe looks like they're lonely, that maybe looks like they're unloved, and can you minister the grace of God's love to them in that moment? So, so come and enjoy one another, but as you're enjoying, can you make the priority not each other all the time, but, but seeing how you can fold others into that and reach out to them? That's one way to love still more and more. Paul says not only should our love be abounding, he also says in verse 9, that we should have a discerning love. Notice this. He says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. So your abounding love ought to be done within the context of, inside of, real knowledge and all discernment. Love, love should be exercised in knowledge and through knowledge. That is, love is not a, a sentimental feeling, but it is an action that is informed by knowledge. It's an action that is informed by the truth. So, so we love according to biblical truth. We love according to biblical principles. We love by the way the Bible teaches us how to love one another. So, so we're not just saying, well, I guess that's the way to love. No, we've come to the Scriptures, we've examined the Scriptures, and we say, this is what the Scripture says about how we love one another, so that's what I'm going to do with another person. Um, we, we might come to a passage like 1 Corinthians 13, and, and we might think about, about how Paul unfolds all kinds of manifestations of what love looks like. And, and we would say after looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 um, that we want to love in that kind of way so that our love is committed to one another, it willingly acts towards one another and it likes. So there, there's the, the love is affectionate and delighting in another. So, so we, we love the way God says to love and that is not only a commitment to another person, it is a commitment to be affectionate with another person. So can I just say here, and let's just put this on the table, I've said it previously, but just to make sure we're all on the same page. There is no category that says, I love you, but I really don't like you very much. I've heard that. I've heard that in this body. It's been a a long time. But I've heard people say that. I love you, but I just don't like you. Friends, if we love each other, it's affectionate love. Guys, go home this afternoon, you know, after the fellowship, and, um, and, and just... You know, put your arm around your wife and say, I just want you to know, honey, I love you. I just don't like you. And see how that's going to work. Doesn't fly, does it? 
Well, it doesn't fly at home. It doesn't fly in the church body either. If we're going to love each other according to knowledge, according to the way God defines it, according to the way God talks about it, we are going to, we are going to be committed to each other and that commitment to each other is going to overflow into affection. Now, I understand that some of us, and I'll put myself in that category, some of us, it takes a little more work to be affectionate. I get it. But it needs to be there. And you need to be working on it. So pray for a knowledge, uh, pray for a love that is knowledgeable and a, a love that is discerning. Love is, love is also practiced with discernment, he says at the end of verse 9. It is perceptive. To, and sensitive to spiritual needs. It's, it's sensitive to moral needs. Now, one commentator says it this way, Love is judicious. It is the ability of the mind and heart to separate not only the good from the bad, but also the important from the unimportant, in each case choosing the former and rejecting the latter. So, so love is discerning and says, this is what that person needs in this moment in order to be loved. Or, or this is, this is a good way to apply love in this circumstance to this person right now. It's, it's discerning and clear and it asks questions and it is perceptive of one another. We want to pray for and we want to love with a love that is wise and discerning. Friends, let's say it this way. We need to love with a way, in the way that people need us to love them. That is different from loving people according to the way they want to be loved. When we had small children, they would occasionally ask for things and do things and say things that required my particular kind of response to them. And in that moment, when we were having a discussion in the place where those kinds of discussions took place, and I had an instrument of correction in my hand. Okay, you know where we are, right? If you would have asked them, does your dad love you? I'm not sure what they would have said in that moment. Because what they were about to receive from my hand was not what they wanted to receive. But that doesn't mean it was unloving. There's a way to administer the truth of God and the love of God to people in need that is difficult in the moment because correction is hard, but, but it is the most loving thing that we can do. Listen to what the Apostle says in Romans chapter 15. Romans 15, he says in verse 14, Now concerning you, my brothers, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. You have the goodness of Christ that has been imputed to you. You have the knowledge of God in His Word, and you are able to admonish, counsel, encourage, exhort, correct, train. So this knowledge that we have is sometimes exercised in a way that is corrective and hard. But friend, in that moment, that's the most loving thing that we can do. I'm so grateful for people who have asked questions about my theology, who have uh, um, challenged my interpretation of 
biblical passages in my sermons. In fact, I, I had somebody do that this week. He said, I think you're wrong. I said, well, um, I did, I, no, I didn't say this. I just received it. But in my mind, I was thinking, well, you think I'm wrong, but I know you're wrong. But anyway, that's a different story for a different day. But we need to receive that. Some, I, I need that sharpening. I need somebody saying, have you really examined the Scriptures carefully? I need that. And I need people asking questions and probing into my life and into my heart and, and saying, Terry, where's your heart? What are you thinking on? What are you meditating on? Is that easy? No. But is it good to hear? Yeah. It's to my benefit. And when people do that for me, um, it, is, it is the most loving thing that they can do for me in that moment. And we need to receive those kinds of things well. Friends, can we, can we love and be committed to one another in such a way that we are attentive to each other and discerning of each other so that we give to each other exactly what we need in a given moment? And we, we need a discerning kind of love. Pray also for a vital love. Notice verse 10. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless. Notice the connection at the beginning of verse 10. So that. In other words, he's praying for love. He's praying for a particular kind of love that is discerning kind of love. And the reason he does that is that they would approve the things that are excellent. The word excellent is a is a word that means differing. It's, it's, it points to something that's different. It points to something that, that might be unexpected in a good way. So you look at somebody or you look at something and you go, well, that's different. As if I, I knew that person before they started doing this church thing and talking about Christ and Jesus and I know what they were like, but look at them now. They're really changed. That's different. So they've changed. They've grown. Love should should be such that it pursues the kinds of things that move us towards a godly kind of excellence and a godly kind of difference. In fact, he amplifies that. In order to be sincere, he says, verse 10, and blameless. Those two words are, are the positive affirmation and the negative denial of the same thing. Uh, positively, he says, they are to be sincere. That is, they are to be genuine, they are to be pure, they are to be true, they are to be morally, ethically right. Negatively, he says, they, they, should, they should be blameless. They should not have blame. They, they should not have stumbling. They should not have offense. The sense is not only that they don't stumble themselves, but, but that they also don't cause others to stumble. So they're not the cause of, of others stumbling into sin. They don't create spiritual obstacles for others. And, and, there, and both of those terms, sincerity and blamelessness, are addressing one's fitness to stand before Christ. They, they have what they need to pass the test of righteousness, and they do not have the things that will cause them to be failures as they stand before Christ and He examines them. Now, the sense of all three of these terms, excellence, sincerity, and blamelessness, is that the Philippians would make the best choices possible and that they would be the best people possible under the circumstances. In in summary, as we look at these words, excellence, sincerity, blameless, they're vital words. In in other words, they're not just just critical words or important words, but they're they're words of vitality. They are are words that give life. They are life-giving words 
and they are life-sustaining words. Um, is our love the kind of love that produces life in others? Spiritual life, so that, so that people are moved towards excellence, so that people are moved towards sincerity, that people are moved away from blame and obstacles. Do they, do they impart life to others? I'm thinking of a couple of things in particular. Do, do our, does, does the way we love give life to those who are unregenerate? Does it point them to the truth of Christ? Are we bold in our speaking the truth of the gospel so that it imparts life to those who need to hear it? And then, and then if they have come to life, are our words vital and life-sustaining so that those who are already in Christ, that they can continue to move towards Christ? And friends, if we're going to love well, we need to love in such a way that it gives life to those who hear what we have to say. Pray for an abounding love, a discerning love, a vital love. Fourthly, pray for an enduring love. Notice what he says at the end of verse 10, until the day of Christ. That little phrase, until the day of Christ, is something like the Old Testament phrase, the day of the Lord. And it can refer, like that Old Testament phrase, to, to a number of different um, items and a, and a number of different time frames. It could be referring, the apostle here could be referring to the day of Christ, thinking about the return of Christ when Christ will set up his millennial kingdom on earth. And and he's saying, I want you to be faithful until Christ comes to set up his kingdom. In other words, I want you to be faithful and endure and love well all through your days, even, even if you are alive when Christ comes. And when he comes and sets up his kingdom, you will still be a loving kind of person. And that, that certainly could be what the Apostle is talking about. It could also be that the Apostle is thinking about Christ is coming and setting up His kingdom. And part of the setting up of the kingdom of Christ is that every believer will give an account before Christ of what he has done. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 3. And then again in 2 Corinthians 5, he says in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so so believers don't have to go to the great white throne where they'll be judged, heaven or hell. That's already been taken care of in Christ. But every believer will still stand before the throne of God where he will say, what have you done? How have you used what I have given you? Have you served me well? And have you proven to be fruitful on my behalf? And every believer is going to have to give an account of that. And the Apostle Paul is reminding us that if, if we're going to stand before the Lord with integrity, we need to love until he comes back knowing that we will give an account before him. So the Apostle here, I think, is not just talking about enduring in duration, but he's talking about enduring through examination. It's, it's the kind of love we love in such a way that it will pass the scrutiny of God's throne as he examines us in Christ. And as you think about that kind of love, that kind of persevering love, that kind of long love, that kind of enduring love, that's not infatuation. That's not a passing fancy. It is a settled, secure, preserved lasting love. And the, the question for us is, are, are we willing to fight 
for this love? Are we willing to persist in this love? Are we willing to work through the hard things in order to maintain love? There's a sentence that runs through my mind with some regularity that asked quite a question actually that one of the elders asked me uh, 15 years ago maybe, maybe even more than that. We were in a meeting with a family in our church body and there had been offense given and it was difficult. And it was just it was just hard. In every circumstance in every way you think about it, it was just it was just a hard a hard issue to deal with. And in God's grace, God brought restoration, he brought healing, and the family stayed and the family was involved and continued to serve and and God brought immense restoration. And the family left from that meeting, and we were reconciled as they left, though the meeting had been hard. And that other elder looked at me, and he made the statement, asked the question, you were going to let them go, weren't you? He was right. Because sometimes it feels like it's easier just to let people go, isn't it? I just don't have to hassle with this anymore. You know, if you go out of sight, out of mind, and I just don't have to deal with this. Friend, that's not love. That's not a kind of love that persists until the day of Christ. Let's be honest here. Our church is healthy. I think people ask me all the time, how's the church doing? I said, you were, by God's amazing grace, we're healthy. Not perfect, but we're healthy, we're strong, there's vitality, there's life, there's, there's ministry, God's doing some really remarkable things, but we're a long way from perfect. In fact, last time I counted, the number of sinners here is one out of one. And that starts right here. We're all sinners, and we're going to come with problems. And the question is, are we going to persist in loving each other through those problems? Are we just going to walk away and say, I quit, it's too much hassle. Friend, don't quit. There's nothing to be gained by quitting and there's everything to be gained by persisting in love for one another. Do I love enough to persist for my brothers? Our joy is to pursue such a love that says, I will go with you to the end you may choose to leave but I I will not send you away I will not push you away and I will chase you as you're leaving pray for enduring love pray for fruitful love verse 11 having been filled with the fruit of righteousness He prays for their love, a discerning love, for the purpose of doing the things that are life-giving, morally excellent. He prays for those things to take place until the day of Christ, and they can do that because, verse 11, they have been filled with the fruit of righteousness. That is, they have a righteousness that has been imputed to them through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Christ has died for their sin and imputed His perfect life to them. 
They're counted as righteous, though they are not righteous in and of themselves. That's Romans 3, that's Romans 4. And then that righteousness that has been imputed to them works itself out in sanctifying them. That's Romans 5 to 8, and that's the fruit of righteousness. So you have been declared righteous, and then out of the declaration of that righteousness, you produce righteous things. This is not people who are trying to be righteous by doing good things, but this is, this is people who are doing good things and gracious things and fruitful things and honoring things because they have been declared righteous. This is what righteousness does in us. And friends, we need to be praying that righteousness will be working in our lives in such a way that we love each other in a fruitful way. Do you pray for that? And notice, notice, notice what the Apostle says, verse 11, where that comes from. You're filled with a fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. By the way, the only way you can do this is through Christ. Unbelievers can't do this. Unbelievers can't produce a fruit of righteousness. Why? Because they don't have the righteousness of Christ. But believers can. In fact, though the, ver- though the book is only 11 verses long, this is a theme that Paul is already repeating. Look back at verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So Christ began the work and Christ will perfect the work until Christ returns. And now he says in verse 11, by the way, this fruit of righteousness that you to be pursuing, this comes only through Christ Jesus. The only way you can do this is through Christ Jesus. Well, friends, we want, to, we want the church to grow, and by the grace of God, it is growing. And we're, we're so thankful for good things that we're seeing in our church body. But we do not want to grow at the expense of spiritual fruitfulness. What we want is for our people to be growing and developing and maturing personally and spiritually. So I, 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 know, I know you pray for each other, but are you praying for each other in this way? Do you, do you pray for your Sunday school teachers to be personally, spiritually fruitful? I, I know you pray that they teach well. I know that you pray for, for me and whoever else is in this pulpit, Keith and, and others who fill this pulpit. To, you pray for us that we will that we will shepherd you well and preach well, but, but do you pray for spiritual fruitfulness in our lives? Do you, do you pray for the spiritual fruitfulness of the nursery workers, for the spiritual fruitfulness of our, our, our musicians and our AV guys and our safety team and our greeters and our home group leaders? Not just that they will do the task well, but they'd be spiritually fruitful. Friends, we need to love each other in such a way that we are fostering spiritual fruitfulness. Pray for spiritual fruit for yourself and for others in the body. There's one last thing to pray for. This one might not surprise you. Pray for God-glorifying love. Notice what he says at the very end. All these things I pray that your love may abound to the glory and praise of God. Says one writer, the glory of God is the only true aim of all human endeavors. Everything we do is only for one purpose, and that is for the glory of God. Are we doing this for the glory of God? Are we loving for our own glory? 
Are we loving for Christ's glory? You know, when we love each other, we, we often get something back. And if you're not careful, that can become the motive. And for your, so your act of love actually becomes self-serving. And Paul here is reminding us that love is to be sacrificial and done for the glory of Christ. I, I, I don't know where this um, term comes from. It's the, this cultural term. Um, you know, you talk to somebody and say, I, your superpower is, you know, so somebody's got the superpower of, um, you know, Regine has the superpower of making soup. Oh, she's, she makes amazing soup. And, and she has a lot of other superpowers as well. But um, our kids were talking about that at Christmas time. And, and um, one of my kids said something about, um, I just asked them kind of kiddingly, kind of provocatively, selfishly, pridefully, honestly. Um, I said, so what's my superpower? And one of them looked at me and said, and I'm paraphrasing, your superpower is theologian. <laughs> I'll take that. And I started grinning. I said, you remember the time? Yes. <laughs> she was making a decision about something she wanted to do. She was in high school at the time. And she wanted to do something. And I wasn't fundamentally opposed. I just wanted her to think it through. And so I just asked her, well, why do you want to do that? Well, I don't know. I just want to do it. I think it'd be cool. And, and in fairness to her, this wasn't a moral issue. This wasn't a right and wrong. It wasn't a sin issue. It was just a preference issue, right? And, um, and so I said, okay, well, I can do it. I said, no, I want you to answer one question for me first. <sighs> she knew where it was going. How does it bring glory to God? <sighs> I don't know, Dad. <laughs> I just... I just want to do it. I said, well, okay, you can, you can just do it as long as you can tell me how it honors God and brings glory to Him. Because that's, that's the only reason we do anything. I don't know, Dad. It just seems to me it'd be cool to do. Okay, great. I'm not interested in cool. I'm interested in the glory of God. But friends, we need to be thinking in those terms. Everything we're doing, running it through that filter, how does this bring glory to God? That sure would stop a lot of sin, wouldn't it? Think about the last time you were in conflict with someone. If you just stop in the middle of that and say, I need to love in such a way that brings glory to God, how am I glorifying God in this moment? That'd shut it down, wouldn't it? It'd help you think about how you're going to spend your money. As you're writing checks, where's this going? Does this bring glory to God? So we want to ask that question. How does it bring, how does it bring glory to God? Now you may be saying, well, what do you, when you say glory of God, what do you mean the glory of God? The glory of God essentially means two different things. One or two complementary things. One is that we glorify God by revealing Him through our actions what He is really like. So when we do something or say something or have some motive, somebody on the outside can look and say, Ah, that's what God is like. God has been revealed. The nature and true character of God is exposed. But it's not just that God is revealed. It is also that God is enjoyed. And in fact, the apostle gets to that at the last part of this verse. He says, To the glory and praise of God. That word praise is the joyful component of giving glory to God. 
that we delight in Him. It's not just that, that we reveal Him, but that we delight in that and that it produces delight in others when we do things that are honoring to Him. Everything we do, it's all about Him. Every way we love, it's always about Him. When you pray for one another, pray for growing love. Pray for growing love. There's, there's no better way I can think of to finish a message about prayer than to pray. And so, would you bow with me and let us do that now to pray in accord with what we have been taught. Our Father, we thank you that you are a prayer-hearing God. Our Savior taught us that we not only can pray to God, that we can not only pray to Father, but that we can pray to our Father. We belong to You. You are in standing in our lives as our Father. But not only do we belong to You, there is also a sense because of the fact that You are our Father that You belong to us. And so we come to You with that that sweetness of relationship and that sweetness of fellowship and that invitation to come to You. For You do invite us to come. You invite us to come and ask as beloved children you want us to pray. You, you delight to hear our prayers. You do not ignore us because you're our Father. You delight to give us good things because you're our Father. So we come to you this morning, our Father, as a prayer inviting and a prayer hearing God. You hear our prayers audibly. You respond to our prayers. You answer our prayers. And while you may not always give us exactly what we ask for, you always give us exactly what we need and when we need it. You are a faithful prayer-hearing God. And so, Father, as our prayer-hearing God, this morning we pray to you in just the way that we have been instructed We pray that you would make us to love and that you would preserve that love and that you would make us to love more and more. That you would make us to love you more and more and that you would make us to love one another more and more. That you would make us to be loving in an unbelieving world where they need to see what love really looks like. And so that in every relationship we have, relationship with you, relationship with one another, relationship in the community, that, that love would be pervasive in our lives. And Father, in, in your grace, you have given us a reputation as a loving congregation. As we grow numerically, would you also make us to grow even more in our love so that our love would not shrink as numbers increase but that as numbers increase, our love would expand all the more. And Father, would you, along with that, make us to be righteously dissatisfied 
with our level of love so that we are compelled to love still more. We pray as well, our Father, that you would make our love to be discerning. We ask that you would help us to understand increasingly from the Scriptures what it means to love. Would you, would you shape our minds by the truth of your Word so that our understanding of what love is is not shaped by the world, but it is shaped and informed by you? And that we would, that we would love in just such a way. And, and that we would, we would love not just with the knowledge of what love is, but that we would love with discernment so that we give care and love and attention to people with just exactly what they need in a given moment. And Father, we ask you as well that you would help us to love with a vital life-giving kind of love. Would you make us compassionate in preaching the gospel to unbelievers? And would you be com- make us to be compassionate in preaching repentance to believers? Would you make us to love well through hard circumstances, pointing people to the life that is found in Christ alone? Well, Father, might, might we demonstrate the vitality of Christ in our own lives and might that overflow in the way we love others. Father, we ask that you would also make us to be persistent in love. Would you give us endurance to love the unlovely, to persist in bearing the weak, and a longevity in calling sinners to repentance? Would you keep us from a weak and ineffective infatuation kind of love and cultivate in us an enduring love a persistent love, a waiting love, a patient love, a pursuing love. Father, we ask that you would make our love to be fruitful. We want our love to produce righteous and fruitful lives and a fruitful and productive church. More than increasing numbers, we want increasing faithfulness to you. Father, might might we not only be known as a gracious people, but might we be known as a sanctified people, a fruitful people, a people genuinely serving you and genuinely demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit that comes from you. And finally, our Father, we ask that you would work love in us that brings you glory. An unglorifying love is a false love. A love that does not give you glory will only produce a wasted life No matter what we attain on earth, if it doesn't bring you glory, there is nothing for us in eternity. Father, we want want a kind of love and a kind of fellowship in our church body that glorifies and exalts you and results in praise to you. So would you keep us in love with you and for you, and would you keep us in a love for each other that honors you and leads us and leads others to praise your name. Father, we recognize that we only love because we have been first loved by you. And Father, having been loved by you, might we now overflow in abundant love for you and others. We pray in the name of Christ for his glory and for his exaltation. Amen.